some aspects of what you you think that maybe I should have covered, which I didn't touch on. Um, there is, as we have been told, there'll be a Q&A session and that will be the time to um, ask those questions. So yes, my name is Yvonne Yirinjua Isiku and I'm Vice President of Pharmaceutical Society of Ghana. So this will be our outline, three areas that we are going to cover today. We are looking at rights and responsibilities in general, and then a few that will pertain to pharmacists. So not everything, we cannot discuss everything, every right and responsibility of a pharmacist, but we will touch on a few. Then we will look at the, I believe um, the executive sent out a questionnaire um, asking for what the areas that you wanted touched. And so, and, and that is what I'm, I, I will address with the questions that were asked. And then there were some that were concerns that were raised. I'll also try to address them. And then if there are others that perhaps you think were not addressed properly, or maybe some that you had in mind, but you didn't have the opportunity to talk about when we get to the Q&A session, that, that is a, a great time to um, talk about it. Or maybe as I, as I um, give my presentation, you have some thoughts, you can type them into the Q&A or into the chat, or you can just write them somewhere and then bring them up um, during the Q&A. So um, as I said, we'll talk about our rights and responsibilities the questions that we asked, the concerns that we raised, and then we'll have our Q&A. So moving on to our rights and responsibilities. When we talk about our rights, what would we generally be referring to? That will be the things that you as an individual, or in this case, as a pharmacist, what you are entitled to. It is your entitlement. You, are, you, you have a right to it. So you can take it, you can have access to it. And these rights will normally be established by law, but not all rights may necessarily be codified as in written. It may be, uh, they may be accepted principles of law, but they may not have been captured in writing in some places. And they may be modified. And one thing that I say is that if I were given a lecture on perhaps what your constitutional rights are, I would set out for you what the constitution says your rights are. And then I would also show you how and in the circumstances in which those rights may be modified. So uh, bottom line, the, the rights are not absolute. The rights are not absolute. Indeed, the basic right to life, which everyone is entitled to, even that can be taken away by a competent, a court of competent jurisdiction. So the rights are not absolute. Now let's look at um, some of the rights that we may be entitled to as pharmacists. As a pharmacist, if you are working in any place, you are entitled to a safe and proper work environment. That means that you should feel um, safe in the place that you are. You shouldn't feel that your, the roof will come down the next minute and strike you on your head. You should feel that if there is a fire outbreak, there is a way of escape. Then there should be, the environment should be such that 
you should be able to um, provide the services for which you have been employed, your skills for which um, you have been asked to work in that environment, you should, it, it should be such that you should be able to provide those skills. As a pharmacist, you should have the opportunity to improve on your skills. So you shouldn't, your, your environment or the work conditions should not be such that you cannot maybe read some manuals, read journals, which will help you um, improve on your work or such that you cannot um, acquire other skills as may be necessary for your work. You should also be able to act pro to practice professionally. That means that your uh, the 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 circumstance of your work should not be so as to stop you from doing what you should do as a professional. So, as a professional, let let me give you an example. Somebody somebody's position may be that I oh, I, I suppose that that is the position. I cannot give out medication without counseling. That is the professional position, that you, you shouldn't give out medication without counseling. Every medication that goes out of the facility in which you work should be accompanied with counseling. Now, the environment or the circumstance of your employment should be such that you should be able to do that. You should not, it shouldn't be that you are restricted or you are limited from providing that professional service. And of course, you should be appropriately remunerated. I believe that that is one of the very critical things that um, quite a number of us are concerned with um, today. So yes, it is very important that you receive appropriate remuneration for the work that you do. Now, let's look at um, responsibilities. As I said, we cannot capture every right and every responsibility that a, a pharmacist has. But we will just touch on a few basic ones. And then if there are others that you have questions on, you bring them up as we go along. So talking about the responsibilities, um, we will be saying that those are the expectations that we have of you. What you are required to do, what you are expected to do. Those are your responsibilities. And these responsibilities may be set out by law and once again, may not, may not be codified. But we must remember that there are some responsibilities that are placed on us from the society. So for instance, um, I, I remember, I, 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 I believe that nowadays it may not be like that. But when I was in, um, when I was, a student, a student pharmacist. In our first week, the GPSA executives had an orientation for us. And one of the things they told us at the time was that if you are a pharmacist or if you were a student, a pharmacy student, and you wore jeans for lectures, you would never become a pharmacist. That was one of the things at the time, it was the expectation because it was viewed that serious people did not wear jeans. Nowadays, very serious people wear jeans and go to 
um, very serious meetings with jeans and blazers and all that. So now it is not an issue, but at the time it was. So those are, that kind of expectation is not codified. And you will be told at the time, you would be told, but you may not, if you were not aware of it, um, you, you, may, you may flout that expectation. So I must say that there have been times when I've had discussions with um, people and I've asked them, if you went to a facility and, or yes, a hospital and you saw somebody in a white coat, who would you think that person is? And everybody would say, that is the doctor. Because there's a certain, that the, the doctors are expected to dress in a certain way. So it is a, a certain kind of expectation. So the way, even the way you dress, you have a responsibility to your clients to build in them a certain kind of confidence so that, I mean, we are human. We don't know what is in your head, but we expect for some reason that the way you dress will tell us that you are competent. It is a human fault, but it is a fact of life. So those are examples of expectations. And I must tell you that whereas your rights are not absolute, their the responsibilities may be absolute because people expect that the circumstance will not change what you will deliver to them. Your client expects that no matter what the situation, you will give them the best that you can give. They expect that you will always have their health at heart. You will not, um, uh, you will not do anything that will be detrimental to them. And they do not expect that to change under any circumstance. That is the expectation that your clients have of you. Now, as a pharmacist, your responsibilities include providing the best possible service. So in the circumstance, of course, if you are in a, in a facility which is always very busy and always very crowded, and perhaps you have a very small um, um, counseling room or counseling area, you may not be able to have extended counseling services with your client. And so you may be limited in that sense. But if you are in a place where you have that um, luxury, then you will have the opportunity. So that I'm saying that you have to provide the best possible service. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I seem to have lost something. Okay. I'm saying that you have to provide the best possible service and you have to act professionally. So for instance, you are a pharmacist, somebody um, um, comes into your facility and shares confidential information with you, your professional, it doesn't matter how interesting, how juicy that information is, you, is, you act professionally, you keep that to yourself. You have to be a seven-star pharmacist. I'm sure that by now, we all know who a seven-star pharmacist is. You are a teacher, you are a lifelong learner, you are a, a manager, you are the seven star pharmacist is what you have to be as a pharmacist. That is your responsibility. You have to be an advocate for your client. I believe it is today, but I, I think it, it came out 
maybe a few days ago, where one of those, um, I, I do not know the capacity in which that man, I think it is KJTR lawyer or something, I don't know, but he was talking about how a doctor writes in a certain way, and that means para, then he writes in the same way, and that means chloroquine, and he writes in the same way, and it means another medication. As a pharmacist, your role is to ensure that your client gets the best. It is your responsibility. That may mean reaching out back to your to the prescriber to confirm the information that you have. It may mean following up on your client to ensure that they have understood the, the, the instructions for the medication and they're actually complying with the instructions for the medication. You have to be an advocate for your client. And as a pharmacist, you must serve your community. There may be times when you are called upon to be part of outreaches, to be part of vaccination programs, to be part of health education programs. As a pharmacist, you are required to do that and serve your community. So now let's look at um, particularly, specifically some of the questions. Indeed, I have tried to answer all the questions that um, were received. And so we will take them as they come. The requirements for registering a new facility, I must say that it is set out, excuse me, set out clearly in the pharmacy licensing policy, which is on the website of the Pharmacy Council. And it gives, that document gives you, um, requires that some docu the, uh, documentation should be made available at the time of registering. And so when, for instance, um, you are registering because it is a, because it is a company that will be registering, it is important that you have the company registration, the um, uh, certificate to commence business, um, any other documentation, your tax um, ID, any other documentation that shows that it is a, a company. And the objects of the company should also indicate that providing pharmaceutical service is one of them. Again, the policy requires that there should be a pharmacist and, and um, this at least there should be the superintendent pharmacist. But that's not the only thing that the policy requires. Where the, um, the superintendent pharmacist is unable to cover all the hours, the policy requires that those hours are covered by other pharmacists. So those, and you have to show that at the time of um, registering um, a new facility. Again, the location is important because even though recently in recent uh, months and uh, maybe a year and a half more than previously, the issue of the 400 meters has really come up because some people, some facilities, some people have complained that facilities have come up um, very close to other facilities. But according to the policy, it is a 400, the 400 meter rule is still there. It is in the policy that is at the website of the pharmacy council. But of course, because it is a policy, the pharmacy council position is that based on the situation, based on 
the circumstance, maybe population, maybe the need, they may be able to vary that requirement. Another thing that is set out um, by that policy is the size. So there is a minimum size that a, a pharmacy should have, whether you it is going to be a, a, a retail, a, a wholesale retail, a, a wholesale manufacturing, all of that. The size, the minimum size is set, is set out in that policy. Again, there are some um, facilities, for instance, it, the requirement for having something like a toilet is also set out in that policy. Then um, there are also post-approval requirements. So after um, you have, after the, uh, a, a, a facility, a new facility has been registered, there are some requirements that must be complied with. And I believe one of them is, for instance, how the sign, the signage of the facility will show. I mean, the way it is portrayed is one of the requirements. There are quite a number of them. And I will encourage all of us to visit the um, Pharmacy Council website, look at the policy and uh, for guidance when we need it. Another question was, what are the processes for registration? Once again, it is set out in the pharmacy licensing policy, which is provided on the website of the Pharmacy Council. And the registration process is that you pick up forms from Pharmacy Council offices, you complete and submit the forms. And at the time you are submitting, you pay the requisite fees for the application. Then there'll be a site inspection. And of course that site inspection will be conducted by the officers at the office in which the application is submitted. And the report will be submitted to the head office. That's the headquarters. And if there is approval, the pharmacy council certificate will be issued for that um, facility. Now, the document says that the superintendent pharmacist may be interviewed. Now, it says may be interviewed. It doesn't mean that the superintendent pharmacist will not be interviewed. It, it, it means in every case, they may interview the superintendent pharmacist. It also means that they may pick and choose who to which superintendent pharmacist to interview based on the circumstances. One other issue that came up was contracts. I mean, contracts came up not as one particular issue, but different questions on how contracting takes take place came up. So I will start with um, the one that is asking about the expiry and when the, the terms or when a contract expires. I believe the person wanted to know, for instance, if I if they contracted with somebody in May and at the end, in May 2020, does the contract expire at the end of December 2020? The expiry of a contract is determined by the terms of the contract. So if you have a contract with an employer for five years or two years, the contract is valid for the five years or the two years. It may, be, it may be that in the terms of the contract, there are ways in which the contract may be abrogated. It may be that in the terms of the contract, um, 
they, they have the, the, the contract has to be reviewed. And if there isn't agreement on what the review is, the contract will then um, be terminated. So it, it is not that the contract in itself is not terminated because of the end of the year, unless that is what the contract says. Then once a contract is signed, it is binding as stated in the terms of the contract. So there are some um, provisions in a contract that we call conditions precedent. So a contract may say, there, there may be a provision in the contract that says that if you, if so and so and so happen, then so and so and so will take place. So the, the clauses that follow the if are what we call the conditions precedent. Those things must happen before the, con the terms that say then, that follow the then will happen. So the terms of the contract themselves, if there is no condition, then once the contract is signed, everything in that contract is binding. The contract does not have to be, of course, because it is a pharmacy contract, you have, you, you, you send a copy to pharmacy council, but that is not what makes it binding. It is a fact that you have executed the contract. It's a fact that you have signed it. That is what makes it binding. Now, if there is a breach, of course, because pharmacy council um, uh, regulates the practice of pharmacy, a breach of a contract with respect to the practice of pharmacy has to be reported to pharmacy council. But a breach of a contract may also result in a civil suit. That means you can, if the terms of the contract have been breached, you can actually go to court for redress. And if some interests have accrued before the breach occurred, the breach will not take away those interests that have accrued. So for instance, if as a result of something that you, you have, uh, some action that you have performed, you are entitled to something, a payment or some kind of, some other kind of remuneration, and then, so that entitlement arises, and then there is a breach. The fact that there has been a breach does not mean you are no longer entitled to the things, those interests that accrued before the breach. Unless the breach means that what you did is null and void. Now, I think one, there was one particular concern um, about contacting a previous superintendent and whether it is good or it is advisable or it is um, yeah, a smart thing to do. I believe that contacting a previous superintendent may be considered due diligence. You are going into an employment. You, um, that is the first time you are contracting with a person. You are entering a contract with somebody you do not know um, very well and you know that they, they, they have um, had a similar contract with somebody uh, prior to you. You are not sure of why that contract is no longer existing and why they now need you. It, it is, it, you are within your rights to go and find out 
why the superintendent pharmacist is leaving. It may be that they have parted ways on, on, on agreed terms. Maybe somebody wants to move on to do other things. But particularly if you have questions in the air, for instance, where the, the question was if the proprietor does not want to give you the, the, the contact of the superintendent, then I think that you must make every effort. It becomes very important that you find out why the, um, the previous superintendent left. Now, somebody wanted to uh, find out what to do if your efforts are not recognized. And I was not very, it wasn't clear to me what the person meant. So if that person is part of this um, um, webinar, I will ask that um, you try and clarify it, that when you say your efforts are not recognized, is it that you are trying to establish to, to establish SOPs and or you have established them and your proprietor says, no, I don't see that you have established them or you are trying to train other personnel and your proprietor says you were not the one who trained them or you are providing professional services and your proprietor has gone somewhere to say that you you are not providing professional services. If the, the question was actually to the effect that you have worked and you are not being paid, then I think um, what I can say is that your terms of the terms of your contract should show that you should be paid. And so based on that, you should be able to get your remuneration. If you, you have yeah. an no, no, there's nothing inside. They don't can't put fruit inside. Please kindly mute yourself. If you have a screen touch. If the um the, um, the issue so this fruit you have to eat is because if the issue is that maybe you had some agreement with the proprietor that yes i'm providing these basic services but i will also run a clinic and when i run the clinic whatever comes in we are going to share the proceeds um, in this percentage and your proprietor is not paying you what you have agreed then it is a breach of contract. So I think I, I have a difficulty in, in understanding what your efforts are not recognized means. Is it that you have worked and you're not being paid? Is it that you're, when you come there, but, uh, but otherwise, if it is not that you have worked and you're not being paid, but it is that you, are, you, you stand there and you do your work that you have been employed to do, and your proprietor does not give you a tap on the back. Well, maybe your proprietor is not a very nice person, but they are not really breaching any, any um, legal requirement. So if I have addressed your concerns, then please, that's fine. But if I haven't, then please um, let, let me know when we get to the Q&A session. And there was a concern about when pharmacists are not covering all hours in the day. I believe the license that is issued by pharmacy council requires that all opening hours have to be covered by pharmacists. And so 
I will say that superintendent pharmacists, the superintendent pharmacist in any facility where this is happening must intervene and advise a proprietor. I can assure you, I mean, I don't know whether you may want to talk to, you may want your proprietor to talk to um, facility owners whose facilities are always covered by pharmacists. And they will tell you that, yes, maybe month one, you may not make your money, but by month three, sometimes month six, if it is a viable um, venture, you will be making it. So I, I think that we have to make, we have to try and make an intervention. Um, I am, I, I, I will not say that as soon as you see that the thing is not covered, uh, quickly go and report to pharmacy council. I think we should try and make an intervention because we, we know that providing pharmaceutical service is primarily a public good. And because of that, um, if it is possible for us to make an intervention that will ensure that the pharmaceutical service is provided and speak to the proprietor uh, so that they provide, they take those steps, it will be better for the, the people who are relying on that facility for the service. But of course, if there is a sustained breach, if you have tried, you are a pharmacist, whether you are the superintendent or you are a locum or you are a full-time pharmacist working in a place and you have tried a certain, for a certain number of, I don't want to say days, but for a period of time you have tried and you are not um, seeing the results that you, you think you should, you may want to get pharmacy council involved. Of course, you, going to, if, if you go and see some officials in pharmacy council and try to get them to come and sit with your proprietor, that is also a good way um, to get the, the issue resolved before saying that the facility should be closed down because um, some, some hours are not covered. But I must say that when pharmacists work, their absence will be felt. So if you are in a facility and you are actually working, when you get there, you are on your feet, you are providing the service, you are counseling people, you are reviewing prescription, you are advising, you are training uh, the other um, pharmaceutical care um, staff who are there. If you are not there, when somebody comes, maybe you are there in the evening, and somebody comes. There are so many facilities where the pharmacist goes on leave and uh, they almost have to close down because everybody who comes, I want to see the pharmacist and the pharmacist is not there and they go out. So it's when pharmacists work, their absence will be felt. Now, somebody wanted to know if it is possible to superintend outside. So I suppose perhaps a person is in the Eastern region and wants to superintend in, in Greater Accra or the person is in Ashanti and wants to superintend in Volta region. I think that the concept of superintending, at least as it pertains now in Ghana, requires some reasonable level of proximity. So you, I mean, yes, a superintendent will not be there all the time, but there is a certain expectation that if the superintendent is needed, they will be available. 
And that availability usually in, in Ghana is, is understood as presence more than that they are available on the phone. Indeed, if you consider the fact that there are so many places in Ghana where if you want to make a call, you cannot get through because there isn't coverage, then really presence is critical. And considering that the superintendent is responsible for every single professional activity that takes place in the facility, I think that it would be very challenging to superintend without proximity. And I believe that is why, well, I, I, I believe that in principle, pharmacy council expects that you will be superintending in the same region. That is that's my belief. Because I think that the, what is required to superintend is, 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 is it will be very difficult, if not impossible to undertake without some reasonable level of proximity. So those are the questions that came, but some concerns were raised. And so we will also try to address some of those concerns that were raised. I've tried to categorize the concerns into um, the, those that are, that are, let's say, that go to proprietors, and then those that go to the remuneration, and then those that go to um, pharmacy council. So with respect to the proprietors, one question or one concern was that sometimes the proprietors only want the licenses. They don't want you, they don't want you to say that I will work. They just say, give me your license and let me hang it. Now, I think that the only answer to that is that there is no license without the pharmacist. I mean, if you, the pharmacy council gives you a license, okay, not you, not any of you listening to me, but if the pharmacy council were to issue a license to anybody and that person falls dead, touch wood, the license is of no value because a pharmacist it's no longer there. So the, the, the paper documentation, the license is valid only because the person is competent to provide that professional service that it is expected that that person will provide. So if that person is not competent, if somebody were, were to fall sick and is invalid, the person is incompetent that license is of no value. If somebody were to have some mental problem that incapacitated the person from providing the professional services of a pharmacist, that license may be there, but it is no longer valid. So I think we have to be able to ex explain that to the proprietors. And I believe that if all of us were to say that I make the license valid. So without me, you have no license. The proprietors will stop asking for that. It is because some of us want to be able to hang our licenses and we want to be able to collect money for work we haven't done. That is why the proprietors keep on asking because they, they believe that they'll find somebody who will give them their license alone. 
But without the pharmacist, there is no license. Then the, another question was, or another concern was whether licensure fees are to be paid by the proprietor. It depends on the terms of your agreement. If your proprietor say, believes that, look, you are, you are invaluable to this um, organization. If you are not there, this organization will not run. And to keep you, I want to pay your licensure fees. Why not? If, the, if the, um, the proprietor says, look, there are 10 of you working in this facility. I am unable to pay for all of you your licensure fees. So all of you, and I believe I'm paying you well enough to be able to foot your own bill. And if indeed your proprietor is paying you well enough to foot your own bill, and you, you see that, yes, it's a, it's a good deal. Why not? It depends on the terms of the agreements that you have with your proprietor or your employer, as the case may be. Then the question, another question of, was on more practices of proprietors. Um, I believe I, I mentioned it a bit earlier, if, if maybe the, uh, for instance, the, the facility is not covered by pharmacists, or if there are some things that the proprietor is doing, which is not very good, perhaps they, it is important to have a, a more effective engagement with the proprietor. But if it is really a more practice, then pharmacy council may have to be brought in. If it is really a more practice, sometimes maybe the proprietor is doing something because they have heard other people have done it and they've gotten away with it. They don't know better. So maybe that is where you do the engagement. But if you know that this person is being crooked, then perhaps you, you, you have to bring in the pharmacy council. Then the minimum recommended remuneration was the other area of concern. Now, I must say that the recommendation is based on a number of factors, including the previous recommendation. So um, on, a, on, a, on a regular basis, the Pharmaceutical Society of Ghana reviews the recommendation of what, um, what the minimum remuneration should be. And so the previous recommendation will be taken into account. The prevailing economic situation will be taken into account. So for instance, in a year where there has been a massive inflation, then of course it has to reflect in the, in, in the remuneration. And where the inflation is very small, of course that also has to show there. So all of those things are taken into consideration. Then what the government is planning to do with respect to government employees. If the government is going to give a 15% increase, that is taken into consideration. If the government is going to give an 8% increase, that is also taken into consideration. So all of these things are taken into consideration as well as the input from employers. So employers are also consulted. And indeed, I, I, I know for a fact that at the last, um, at the last time when the discussions were had, the employers' representatives were at the table. Of course, it doesn't mean that when PSGH, if PSGH were to say, let us increase it by 5%, say, and the employer says, no, let it be zero, then PSGH will say, okay, then zero. There is, that, that's why there is discussion. There is discussion and um, some of these issues are brought to bear 
and then a recommended a recommendation is made which um we believe should be a win-win for both pharmacists and employers now the this recommended minimum it is if you read the thing it is the it is a recommended minimum this is provided to support negotiation let us say you have lived in your parents house your whole life they have provided everything for you you have trained as a pharmacist you have you've you've come out indeed when you were doing your uh, internship your the where you were doing your internship was close to your your mother's workplace or your father's um, workplace and so they used to take you now you have a new um, job and they say come for an interview you go and you are asked so how much would you like to take i have been on several interview panels where the person has said oh anything goes now depending on what the um they are looking for they may take it or they may say that you are not serious now if you said any anything goes and and the employer says okay i'll give you 800 cities a month then you you consider it 800 cities is a lot of money why not and you you take it then you realize that um three months after you take your position your your father who was working close to the place is going on retirement so now you have to um find your way now you did not take that into consideration now if your father is going on retirement and he's like some of the old people i know and says i'm going back to my village now you also need to get accommodation which you have not factored into your discussion so it is because of all of these and um pharmaceutical society of ghana realized that there are lots of pharmacists who go into who go into employment without the the knowledge of or without the benefit of experience and because of that they end up suffering the brunt sometimes or, or because some of the, the people are unscrupulous but sometimes also because the employers well maybe the employers don't know better but those are some of the issues and so this is a recommended minimum it is to support your negotiation so if you go and there is something that the um, the uh, pharmaceutical society of ghana has proposed that this is what you should get you don't have to go and just shove that paper in front of your employer and say that this is what i'm going to get you're supposed to negotiate you're supposed to go uh, indeed i know that in negotiations it's like you know you you go and then you say if i don't i can't remember the 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 recommended the last one but if it were 2005 you start off at 3000 and you negotiate down so it is supposed to support your negotiation and if you are in a facility where maybe uh, things are very difficult and you can also see and because of that you want to come to the 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 minimum recommendation why not but there are a number of things that have been taken into consideration and we also encourage that when you have agreed on the figures make sure those figures are captured in your agreement of employment because what the experience that we have had and this i am speaking as because i'm vice president i am chair of 
the um, disciplinary committee. And sometimes we have complaints. Sometimes you, the pharmacist goes and let us say the recommended minimum is 1,005. The employer says, I'll pay you, okay, I'll pay you 1,005, but let us write 1,000 in the document. Then the farm, and then the, the 500, I will be paying you. Then the, the, the pharmacist agrees on 1,000. At the end of the first month, the, the employer pays 1,000. At the end of the second month, the employer pays 1,000. Then the pharmacist goes and asks that, oh, what about the 500? And he says, oh, I don't have money. Then the pharmacist says, oh, but you, you agreed on 1,005. You just said it. Then the, the employer goes to pharmacy council or comes to Pharmaceutical Society of Ghana offices with the document which has been signed by the pharmacist that says 1,000. Please let the, if it is 1,000 and it is uh, 500 will be your transportation, let it be captured. And let it be known, let it be captured in the document that the total amount that you are expecting to receive at the end of each month is 1,005. In that case, if you are paid 1,000, there is documentation to show that you are owed 500 at the end of each month. Now it is when that has been captured in your um, agreement of employment that it becomes binding on both you and your employer. As for the recommendation, it is a recommendation until you sign, you append your signature at the bottom of that contract. Then it becomes binding on both of you. Then the last category was with respect to pharmacy council. So the question was, why is there a wait period? And I must tell you that your training as a pharmacist does not equip you to superintend a facility. Your training as a pharmacist equips you to provide pharmaceutical services. Superintending a facility includes managing personnel, managing resources, managing stock. Those are things that you acquire in addition to your, um, your skills and your knowledge as a pharmacist. And so the idea of the wait period, indeed, some time ago, if when you qualified, you would be employed as an assistant pharmacist, you would not be called a pharmacist. That has changed. Now you are a pharmacist. As soon as you finish, you are um, licensed, you are licensed as a pharmacist. But it is understood or it is expected that that period of that wait period will be used to acquire skills that are relevant for superintending managing resources, managing personnel, managing your stock, ensuring that you're not running out, ensuring that you are, you are not um, getting, money is not getting stuck in some place. So all of those things, it is, it is hoped that you will use that time. Of course, even the wait period would, would not give you all those skills, but at least it will equip you with sufficient knowledge to be able to know who to contact, where to look for help and all of that. It is also to provide opportunities for new pharmacists. Whereas there are some pharmacists who write from the word go, may be able to get somebody who is um, ready to uh, maybe finance a facility for them to superintend. There are those who 
don't have that. And because of that, this is an opportunity for them to go to facilities where maybe there is, as we mentioned earlier, there's a superintendent, but the superintendent is not covering all the hours. So that person becomes a local pharmacist and works. And while they are working as a local pharmacist, they acquire the skills so that in the future, if there is an opening somewhere, they can take over the position. Or if they, they choose to go somewhere else and, and practice go into some other um, area of practice, they can go into that area of practice. It is also supposed to provide support for existing facilities. So really getting support for new or opportunities for new pharmacists and support for existing facilities are two sides of the same coin. Because if there's an existing facility where maybe there is a pharmacist who has who is a specialist from the Ghana College of Pharmacists or West Africa Postgraduate College of Pharmacists, and the person is, is, is running clinics in the facility, and that is a superintendent pharmacist, that person may be paid much more than the new pharmacist who is holding the fort at the time when the clinic is not running. And because of that, it provides there is a balance. The new pharmacist, the young pharmacist, uses that opportunity to learn those skills. And also, that is an opportunity for the uh, existing facility to get the services that are required. And it indeed, it, it benefits the whole community. So it is, it was, it is perceived as a win-win for everybody, even though there are some people who um, may not be winning and so may not be very happy with that arrangement. Then there was a concern about hiring of MCAs instead of pharmacists. I think that this is not supported by the documents that are lodged with the Pharmacy Council. And because a Pharmacy Council requires that when the facility is open, there will be pharmacists. So it's a, it, is, it is rather very difficult for, for me to see that. And I think that if that is happening, then uh, the pharmacy council should be contacted. Because if, I, I don't see how it is that pharmacists, unless the thing is that the pharmacists are not working and so the MCAs are doing the work of pharmacists or the pharmacist are going to hang their license. So the pharmacist says, use my license then MCAs are, are doing the work. In that case, it is pharmacists, not the proprietor. Because I think Pharmacy Council requires that, yes, there will be support staff. And yes, there may be some uh, periods in which maybe the pharmacist has gone to lunch. And indeed, in those times, in, in those periods, the proposal now is that the prescription medicines should be locked. If the pharmacist is not there, the only medicines that should be available are over-the-counter medicines. Because if the pharmacist is not there, the place is running as an over-the-counter medical uh, medicine sellers facility, not a pharmacy. So I think pharmacists, if pharmacists are not present, uh, the pharmacy council should be alerted on, on, on those um, kinds of situations. And if uh, the proprietors, uh, uh, if there is more practice on the part of the proprietors, as I indicated, there should be more engagement. But if it's if really it is more practice, then pharmacy council has to get involved.
So, um, as I said, really all the information is on the website of the Pharmacy Council, the information in relation to what Pharmacy Council has to do, registration and all of that. And then um, also in the documents that are available in Pharmacy Council offices. So I thank you. And now it is time for um, Q&A, any comments that anybody may have. Okay, Auntie Yvonne, thank you so much. So usually Auntie Yvonne is, is modest. She doesn't like the titles, but she has so many qualifications, so we can't help it. Thank you, Auntie Yvonne. And um, quickly, thank I'll you. just read some. Some of the comments in the participants. Pharmacy Council needs to be very clear on the 400 meter rule. During a Zoom meeting sometime last year, Dr. Amenin stated that the 400 meter was not applicable anymore. We see now, we see new facilities springing up less than 40, 400 meters to, oh, okay, he's saying, he's actually saying 40 meter to some within 100 meter from existing facilities. And the reason given is population density. Unfortunately, Pharmacy Council is not able to provide the population density information for the said community. Pharmacy Council should be fair with all. You don't use 400 meter rule for A and population density for B. You and I know the actual reasons for which the rules are varied for different people. This is very wrong. Auntie Yvonne, do you have a reaction to this? Um, okay, so I believe that, um, uh, okay, I see, I, I see that it is Professor Wuto who made that comment. And I believe that um, he, he is he's expressing um, a, a difficulty that people have. Um, I think in that meeting, what um, Dr. Menin said was mm -hmm. that it is, well, yes, it can be varied. And I also, and I agree that if it is an issue of population density, then it has to be applied um, equally for everyone. So on that, I agree with, but I do not know the actual reasons why it is varied for some people and not for others. I, I hope I, my response is adequate. I hope so too. He's he's still in the meeting, so if he's not satisfied, I'm sure he'll mention. Yes. Um, another another comment is that most pharmacists are asking to be paid a bulk sum of money for their license and monthly for the hours they work. This is something PSGH frowns upon, but this is the reality on the ground. What is the society or pharmacy council doing about this? We can't separate a pharmacist from his or her license. It is not the proprietors making this request, rather the pharmacist. Fact. Yes, so I, I, I think that that is actually, that is very problematic that it is the pharmacist who is saying that pay me in advance. And pay me in advance means pay me for work I haven't done. Because you, if I don't even know whether I'll be able to do the work. 
Because if I if you pay me in advance and touch wood, um, something happens and I'm unable to provide the service, your money is gone. So I, I think it is very problematic that it is pharmacists who are asking for that. I believe that pharmacists should desist from asking for that. Pharmacists should work and be paid for work done. If at the beginning of your your contract, you, you had a negotiation with your, your proprietor or, or, or employer, and your agreement was that you'd be paid a certain amount for transportation. And you were telling your employer that, okay, for, so for this month's transportation, give me half in advance so that I can, um, uh, so that things will be easier for me. That is different from saying, give me how, I mean, one year, six months in advance when I haven't worked. I think that is very problematic. And I believe with that one, the only thing that Pharmaceutical Society of Ghana can do is to urge all pharmacists, which is what I'm trying to do now. Urge pharmacists not to do that. Do not ask for money you have not worked for. Please. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Auntie Yvonne. Okay, so um, I, I only read two comments from the chat box, but to actually do the Q&A session, we invite a member of the YPG Advisory Board in the person of Farm Jonathan Zobi. So Farm Zobi, if you are on, you can take over now. All right, thank you very much, Daisy. And um, thank you, Farm Yvonne, for the wonderful presentation given. So there are a few questions that have come in and I would want to just zoom straight into it. So the first one is, is registration of new facilities legal before five years of practice? That's the first one. Okay. Um, do you want me to answer them one at a time? Um, whichever one we or you want me to read the few that are in and then you take them one after the other. No, I can I can do it one at a time. It's it's fine. Okay. All right. So the question is whether you whether you can register a new license before five years. Is registration I, I, of the new new facilities legal before I mean whether you can register years. a new facility before five years? Yes, of practice. So for instance, if somebody has practiced for four years, can they register a new facility? Is that the question? Exactly. Oh, I, I think so. I don't think pharmacy council requires you to practice for five years at this time. At this time, pharmacy council does not require you to practice for five years. But I do know that there are concerns with, with respect to the quality of superintending. And so there have been moves to move that kind of, to be able to superintend to, um, yes, five years. I think it is something that has been proposed. It is in the pipeline. But at this time, Pharmacy Council does not require you to have five years before you can license. Maybe in the next two or three years, I, I don't know. But I know that um, there have been moves to do that. Yeah. All right. Thank you. So the next question is, can, why can't a pharmacist working in a private hospital register for a pharmacy? Okay, so I believe, I do not know whether the, the, the 
so th th that is a, a pharmacy working in a private hospital is going yes. to superintend a pharmacy. Yes. Okay, so if you are going to superintend, it means you are taking responsibility for the pharmacy. You are saying you'll be there for a certain number of hours in the day. And the other um, hours that you are not there, you are going to um, make sure that somebody covers that. Pharmacy council, I believe, at least at the time when in the, in the period when they were saying it couldn't be done, their position was that it is near impossible for somebody who is managing a private um, a, a pharmacy in a okay, so if you are in a in a in a pharmacy in a private hospital, you are most likely maybe you are you, you are managing it or you are very you are providing some services. You are working there full time. That mm -hmm. you you will be working there full time and still be able to superintend because the pharmacy council views the process of superintending as a full time assignment. So that is the position. The position is that you can go and do local, but it, and I, but I believe that last year, I don't know if they have reintroduced that position, but I believe last year they relaxed it a bit and allowed people to open, if you were a pharmacist and you were opening your own facility and you could show evidence that you would while in the times when you are not there, you would get somebody to come and take your place. They were ready to allow you to open. But if you were going to um, superintend for somebody else, then it was not going to be allowed. And I, I believe that those are the reasons that you cannot take a full-time employment in two different places at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So the next one is from Prof. Water again. He asks, um, why should PC or pharmacy council close down a community pharmacy because there's no pharmacist on duty or on the premises, but do nothing about a nearby chemical shop that dispenses everything. Drugs are only supposed to be dispensed by prescription. Hmm. Okay, so... Um... Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it should be one or, one or the other. I think pharmacy mm. council should not allow a chemical, uh, okay, now we call it over-the-counter medicine seller. We, yeah. uh, the, uh, the pharmacy council should not allow an OTCMS to dispense medicines which are not over-the-counter. So if uh, uh, an OTCMS is dispensing medicines which are not over-the-counter, I think the pharmacy council perhaps should close it down. I mean, they, they, some action has to be taken. Um, and I think that if, if there is no pharmacist on duty, I, I believe that the proposal to go around the thing about a pharmacist on duty, I think if there is no pharmacist on duty, it is problematic because then it becomes like an over-the-counter medicine seller, which is dispensing uh, uh, prescription medicines. So then it is on the same level. I don't think it is one or the other. I think both should not be allowed. A pharmacist may step out for a brief period, maybe to go for lunch, in which case the proposal is pres prescription medicines should be locked. They shouldn't be available to other persons in the, in, the, in the facility. So that is the proposal. But if there isn't a pharmacist on duty at all, then there is no difference between that facility. 
and a chemical uh, an OTCMS, which is dispensing prescription medicine. So both should not be allowed. Okay, thank you very much, Fran. Um, the next question is on proprietors. So I think what the person is trying to ask is there are situations or most, most of the cases that are coming up is that most proprietors cannot afford to have a full-time pharmacist as against the revenues that they are making. And as a result of that, they would prefer the pharmacist to hand their license rather than employ them. So the question is, what is PSGH and Pharmacy Council doing to ensure that these things are actually brought to a halt? Okay, so I can talk about PSGH. And I believe one of the things is what we are doing now. And when we had at AGM and, and even at the launch of, of um, so previous AGMs, not this one, but at the launch of the YPG PSGH, we did a presentation on the ethics of the practice and we discussed some of those things. So I think that that is what uh, uh, PSGH can do to encourage because really Pharmaceutical Society of Ghana cannot police every facility to say that um, we are making sure that the uh, facility, the pharmacist is not hanging their license. We can only um, appeal to the consciences of pharmacists that you trained to provide a service to the public. And when you put your license on a facility, you actually make a pledge to the, the public who are accessing that facility that there is a pharmacist here who is able to provide pharmaceutical services. That is what you do. So if you, you don't do that, you, you have, well, some time ago they said that, I mean, your word is your bond. If you, if, if you, you, you say to the public that I, I am providing this service, the public should be able to rely on your word alone that you are providing that service. And the pharmacy council, I believe that on the one hand, pharmacy council maybe um, uh, maybe it is that oh let, let, let us let us let it go a, a, a little or maybe let the, the, the let the pharmaceutical service be provided because maybe there are some people who are it is even a refill of their medication and the medication is a prescription medication so it should be done but really it shouldn't be done. There should be a pharmacist providing that service. And that is the pledge that you make as a pharmacist to that community that I put my license here and I will be there to superintend what is being done. If you don't do it, unless it comes to the notice of Pharmaceutical Society of Ghana directly and Pharmacy Council to bring it up and start um, um, disciplinary procedures against you. Uh, there isn't really a lot that pharmacy, pharmaceutical society of Ghana can do. So we so, can only plead that yeah. uh, and and urge pharmacists that do the right thing. If the if the proprietor cannot afford a pharmacist, maybe it is because they cannot afford to operate a pharmacy. So maybe 
there should be some other way of providing the service to the people. Maybe the people should walk a, little, a bit longer distance to go to a pharmacy. Maybe that is the way it should be. But you, you can't provide prescription medicines without the, the, the counseling of a pharmacist. Yes, thank you. Okay, so the, there was a follow-up um, question on this same issue. And the person mentioned that there's been a lot of backlash from some proprietors that are poorly cited or whose facilities have, are poorly cited. And as a result of that, they can't still make enough revenue to be able to pay the pharmacist. So the question is, um, if that's the case, is there anything that pharmacy council can do in, in conjunction with PSGH to be able to curtail these facilities from even opening to start with, such that they don't get into the system and then cause these sort of uh, problems that we are experiencing, knowing very well that they can't afford to have the pharmacist um, on board. Okay, I, I want to believe that for most facilities, I, I don't think anybody actually goes into business knowing that they are going to fail. So I want to believe that for, um, um, if not all, most of the pharmacies, they have done what they believe is some kind of market survey. And they are, they are, the information that they have, they believe informs them that they will be able, they, they'll be able to make it. So I don't think when they start off, they start off thinking that they cannot make it. So it will be difficult to, from the word go, say that some facilities should not be open. Having said that, I believe that it is with that in mind that Pharmaceutical Society of Ghana, led by our president, Mr. Benjamin Boche, has been working and striving for us to do what we have been trying to call the model pharmacy concept, where we know that there are some places where pharmaceutical service is needed, but it is possible that in those places, it is the, the economic situation is such that it may not be able to support a pharmacist. I mean, to be, to, to be comfortable. And so for pharmacists to be ready to go into those places. So then we have to review it and look at a way of seeing whether that kind of structure can be, um, can be done in such a way that there's a certain kind of support that is given to a pharmacist who will be going into those areas where there appears to be difficulty with, with respect to economic viability. Now, if we are able to have that concept where perhaps some people are able to get some kind of support, whether it is with respect to the delivery of um, uh, as in the supply. So the supply chain is such that they, they don't, they are not the people who have to go and look for some medications. There's a, a kind of support system that allows them to purchase, even if it's a small quantities, they will still get it at some kind of discounted prices. If those kinds of structures, we are able to put those kinds of structures in place, then we will not have that 
problem where somebody sets up a facility, looks at it only from the economic uh, uh, perspective, and then because of that, is not able to um, pay a pharmacist. And because of that, the services that are pledged to the commu community members are actually not delivered. So I believe that we should be able to, we are talking about it and we have actually prepared a document. And in that document, we are looking at ways of providing support, but these will be for areas where we know that there is, um, there is some kind of, there's a need, but the economic situation in those areas will not be able to support a pharmacist opening there. So then there will be a certain kind of support for a pharmacist who is ready to go and open there so that that pharmacist is, 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 does not lose out economically. So I believe that, and, and these, are the, these discussions have been had with pharmacy council and pharmacy council sees it as something that if we can bring out a viable um, um, structure and we are, indeed we have discussed it, we, we have, um, um, we, we've, we've spoken to people who are ready to support it. And so we are ready to look at um, um, a few locations for rollout. And we, we are expecting that this year, we should be able to roll out at least one to three facilities to, to look at how that works and see if we cannot um, help in providing pharmaceutical service and yet not concentrate too much on the economic benefits. But as for places where maybe there are already uh, um, pharmacies sited close by and um, other people may want to um, site their pharmacies in those areas and then they become not viable. Excuse me, I think in those um, places, the pharmacy council has to be firm and get them to take the decision to employ the pharmacist or if possible, then maybe close the facility down for the members to go to, to work maybe just a little bit longer to get their pharmaceutical services. Thank you. All right, thank you for hearing you. Um, the other bit, or this is just an additional um, question. So for proprietors that are unable to make the payment or the agreed payment, what are the options for the pharmacist? And is there, um, a support desk or a help desk such that um, these aggrieved pharmacists can report to and be able to get these issues resolved. Oh, oh so you mean, for instance, if a, if a pharmacist is not being paid? Yes. Yes. Um, we have, we have, we have had um, instances where we've had Pharmaceutical Society of Ghana has intervened and so have come to some agreement between or have, I shouldn't say we've come to an agreement, but we have facilitated some kind of um, negotiated, should I call it settlement between the aggrieved pharmacist and the employer. So it is something that we do because we understand that, um, yeah, sometimes it is because, as I said, for instance, we've had several instances where something was agreed um, verbally and something else was documented. Mm. And then um, the proprietor now goes with what is documented and which is not sufficient for the pharmacist. And so we've, we've had to find ways of resolving that. Then there have also been um, cases where
register or I put in my license as registering for you, I'm, uh, I cannot get employment anywhere else. I'm working for you, but the facility has also not opened. What happens? We have had cases like that and we have discussed them and with both parties and we have come to some kinds of solutions. We, they have not always um, been the, uh, I mean, everybody has not always been happy. So there are times when one person feels that we leaned in one way or the other, but we have always tried to resolve those issues. So yes, you if you have that kind of problem, just write to the executive secretary of the pharmaceutical society of Ghana and we will we'll reach out to the other person and um, try to find a way of working around it. All right, thank you very much. So the next question is, what is the difference if there's a pharmacist on duty but only sitting in his office or her office and allows MCAs to dispense prescription medications and then the absence of the pharmacist at the premises entirely? Well, there is, in, 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 um, in practice, there is no difference. But somebody may say that, you see, if the pharmacist is there, you can maybe if something were to happen, the pharmacist would be available. But really in practice, there is no difference. If you, if you say you are going to work, as I said, your, your word is your bond. If, if you, you come to the place and you are, you are coming, you say you are coming to work, work. Indeed, you know, there was a time when I asked somebody that, ah, so I, I mean, I did pharmacy in four years and then um, did my, my, my internship and then wrote my exam and so well yes you know but it took me about six years to finish and be able to practice but i asked that so if you if you if you finish and and now you you guys are doing it in six years so you go to school for six years and then you go and sit behind you you go and sit behind a desk why did you go to school i, I mean this is more of a, of a personal <laughs> issue but I, I actually I don't see how wh what was the point why did you go to school I believe that you went to train as a pharmacist and you want to show that you have you have gone to school and the only way you can show that you have gone to school to train as a pharmacist is to work as a pharmacist why do you go and sit in the office and do nothing and let MCAs dispense and do all the interactions with the with the uh, public please if 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 you are listening to me and you are doing that, please don't, don't do it. Stop. Show, show, the, show the public that you went to school. Um, I don't know the, the languages that the people on the, on, who are on the webinar speak, but my first language is Chi. So, please. Yes. All right, thank you. Um, the last, the last but not the least is, um, I think you already answered it during your presentation, but let me still take it. Are proprietors mandated to pay the pharmacists association, that's PAGH dues, as it happens in reality? Okay, they are not, but as I said, it depends on your, your, the terms of your contract. You can negotiate, you can go there and tell your proprietor that, please, you have to pay my, my, my dues because that is what makes me, that is what keeps me as a pharmacist 
and keeps me working for you. And of course, if you are working, most proprietors will pay. Most proprietors will pay. But if, for instance, as we are saying, you go and sit in the office and you let um, MCAs work or you go and hang your license, your proprietor will say that that's what I'm paying for. But I, I think that um, by, by and large, most proprietors are, are reasonable. Of course, there are a few who are very difficult, but most of them are reasonable. And I know that there are lots of proprietors who pay. Well, maybe they feel that they are required to pay, but also maybe it is also because they understand that that is the way you are a pharmacist. Because, I mean, they are, if you are employed by a government agency, your, I mean, as a pharmacist, those dues are paid because that is what makes you a pharmacist. And if you can make that case, most proprietors will pay. On the other hand, somebody can also say that, well, you are employed because you are a pharmacist. So you have to make sure you are a pharmacist so that you retain your employment. So I think that it is not, I don't think it is cast in stone, but I think that it, it is possible to negotiate it all the time and get your proprietor to pay. After all, it is, I mean, right now, it's not even up to a thousand cities in the whole year. So I think most proprietors will pay if they understand the value that you are bringing to the organization. All right, thank you very much, So I think that's about it for the questions. Um, I will hand over to Daisy to take it up from here. Okay, thank you so much, Famzobi. So all in all, I think, I think um, the power lies in our hands. You would have to protect the rights. Like she said, I mean, some of them are not codified, but you would have to ensure that you are being taken care of by your employer. Some, some of the things you can actually do is to officially write to pharmacy council to withdraw your services. If you feel there's been a breach or a malpractice, that needs their attention. And then after notifying them, whatever action needs to be taken is taken and you are no longer attached to the facility. I don't think you should stay there and, and be unhappy for a whole year. Something can be done. Also, PSGH has the disciplinary committee. So you can make use of that as well. PSGH is there to protect your interest, just like YPG. So you can either directly go to them or go through YPG and then this can also be addressed. There, I know the proprietor is also invited and then they listen to the case from both sides. Another thing too is that, I, I remember on the WhatsApp page, on one of our group pages on WhatsApp, and one person was recommending that we actually request for a recommendation letter from the previous superintendent pharmacist. I mean, there's not in any policy but it's just um, a peer recommendation. I mean, if, if you have to take a recommendation letter from the, super, the previous superintendent pharmacist, most likely if there are any concerns as a colleague pharmacist, you know of this, you know of this or the person will even refuse to recommend. Mm -hmm. And um, I think also last year, when, when the stakeholders sat for the meeting to decide on the minimum remuneration, one of the things that the representative from pharmacy council said was that some of these concerns don't reach them. I mean, they can't act on hearsay. 
So um, as executives of YPG, we decided that for 2021, we'll actually document all the observations and present a proper report to Pharmacy Council, a documented one so we can all refer to it. So if, if you're a member of YPG or a young pharmacist like um, Victor Wuto mentioned, it seems it was, there was a particular issue that he has witnessed himself. So in such a situation, you can alert us. So please let's make use of all these um, media and then get our concerns addressed. I think uh, I'll just quickly check. Yeah. So I also want to mention that the recordings from this meeting will be made available through our, our pages and also to your, it will be sent to your emails. And if you are here and you are not formally a member of YPG, it's still open. You can formally become a member of YPG and be informed and updated on all our activities. You can, you can follow us on our um, social media platforms. We are on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, everywhere, even on YouTube. You can find us there. So in the absence of any other thing, we just want to show our appreciation to Auntie Yvonne. I mean, she, she's emptied herself at a point. She had to repeat stuff that she's already said clearly she she gave she gave it her all and we want to say thank you so much auntie yvonne and for your support not only for this program but you've done it for our previous activities as well also want to thank the ghana college of pharmacists for their technical support and support in other um, in more than one ways we want to say a big thank you to them to also our legal friends who provided counsel, knowing this topic in particular had some legalities to it, we needed to reach out to them and we want to say thank you to them. There will also be um, CPD programs during the year. So once you see these flyers out there, kindly try to subscribe and join us. And lastly, we thank the communications team, the project team, the advisory committee, as well as all members of YPG. And for you for joining us, we appreciate you all. We are grateful for staying with us to the end of the program. So thank you. Thank you all so much indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.
Hello, Hamedun Anna Aya Bridget, a pharmacist at Tet7 Military Hospital and a proud member of YPG PSGH. It's a group that fosters the interest of young pharmacists here in Ghana. Our mission is to develop young pharmacists who will spearhead positive change at the local, national, and international level. Our vision is to project pharmacy to increasingly become an indispensable profession. Join us and become part of YPG PSGH. It's open to all pharmacists below the ages of 35 or with five years practicing experience or less. Follow us on all social media platforms at YPG PSGH. Thank you.